0: Good morning. I'm James Holman from The Washington Post, and this is The Daily 202 for Tuesday, April 16th. In today's news, authorities have tracked down the man who infected 39 people with measles. The husband of a fallen American soldier was deported to Mexico and forced to leave behind his 12-year-old daughter, a U.S. citizen. And a memo Bill Barr wrote in 1989 draws fresh scrutiny. But first, the big idea. It took little more than an hour. In that amount of time, the spire had fallen, most of the roof had given way, and that was that. Notre Dame, the literal and figurative heart of Paris, the point from which all distances in the city are measured and the seemingly eternal backdrop to life in the French capital was essentially no more. Granted, the facade was preserved, and the bell towers remain intact. But this is without question a story of loss on an otherwise perfect spring day. James Macaulay, our man in Paris, earned his doctorate in French history from Oxford and was a Marshall Scholar after Harvard. He writes that to have lived in the City of Lights in recent years is to be well acquainted with loss and even unspeakable tragedy. The killing of 12 people in the attack at the satirical newspaper Charlie Hebdo in 2015 The bombings and shootings that claimed 130 people at the National Stadium, a concert hall, and on random cafe terraces. The killings of two elderly Jewish women, one hurled from her apartment window. The omnipresence of armed guards at any site where crowds may gather. But through all of these nightmares, there has been one constant collective refrain. This was the comforting reality, or at least the comforting belief, that somehow, through it all, Paris was indestructible. The idea that Paris will always be Paris felt truer nowhere else than in front of Notre Dame. In his remarks to a grieving nation close to midnight on Monday, President Emmanuel Macron called the cathedral a metaphor for France. Notre Dame is our history, our literature, our imagination, he said, the place of all our great events, our epidemics, our wars, our liberations, the epicenter of our lives. Macron promised to rebuild Alors je vous le dis très solennellement ce soir. Cette cathédrale nous la rebâtirons. Tous ensemble. The cathedral, completed in the 14th century, has withstood the test of time and the assault of history. Notre Dame survived the French Revolution when revolutionaries smashed its statues of Judean kings under the mistaken belief that they were French kings instead. It survived the Paris Commune in the spring of 1871. And it survived two world wars, including Adolf Hitler's foiled plans to raise the city to the ground in 1944. Is Paris burning? That was the question Hitler asked his generals just before Paris was ultimately liberated by American-led forces from Nazi occupation that August. The answer then, and ever since, has been never. But then came Monday afternoon, and the unshakable bedrock turned out to be far more fragile than anyone could have ever imagined. For the moment, no one is reported to have died, and that's a blessing to end an otherwise terrible day. The challenge now will not be to rebuild the structure, but what it represented. The security, the safety, the eternity. It may be only partially possible. As Victor Hugo wrote in The Hunchback of Notre Dame, A novel inspired by this very cathedral. Quote Great edifices, like great mountains, are the work of ages. And that's the big idea. Here are three other headlines that should be on your radar. Number one The number of U.S. cases of measles increased by 90 last week, approaching the record for most cases since the country declared that the disease had been eradicated in the year 2000. The total number of those sickened since January 1st is now 555, not far behind the 2014 record of 667. This is not a record anyone wants to break, but we're about to. And we're learning more about how the outbreak spread. It turns out that a man raising money for a charity in Brooklyn's ultra-Orthodox Jewish community traveled from New York to Michigan and, unaware that he had measles, infected 39 people. He felt sick en route and saw a doctor when he got there, But that doctor, who had never seen measles, misdiagnosed the man's fever and cough as bronchitis. The traveler went on to stay in private homes, attend synagogue daily, and shop in kosher markets. The man who had come to the U.S. from Israel last November called the doctor back to complain about a rash. The doctor eventually realized it was probably measles and tried to connect him with health officials, but they couldn't reach him because of a problem with his phone. Finally, officials managed to track him down because they knew he had a blue rental car, knowing that would stand out among the minivans used by virtually every family in the community. Blood tests confirmed that the traveler had measles, and the strain matched the genetic fingerprint of the New York City outbreak that has caused a public health crisis there. Number 2. The husband of a fallen soldier was deported to Mexico and forced to leave behind his 12-year-old American daughter. But ICE has just relented and reversed its decision after Senator Kirsten Sinema, the freshman Democrat, got involved. Jose Gonzalez Carranza, 30, was arrested by ICE agents last Monday on his way to a welding job in Arizona, and then deported to Mexico last Wednesday. Gonzalez, for the last week, has been living in a shelter for deported migrants in a Mexican city he didn't know. He's been worried about his daughter. After his wife was killed serving our country in Afghanistan, Gonzalez was granted what's known as parole in place, which allows immigrants in our country illegally to remain in the U.S. without the threat of deportation. An immigration judge then terminated deportation proceedings against Gonzalez based on the parole in place. But ICE, under the Trump administration, refiled the case in 2018. A judge ordered Gonzalez deported in December 2018 after Hernandez didn't show up for his court hearing. But the reason that Gonzalez didn't show up is because he never received the notice. His lawyer says ICE sent it to the wrong address. Number three, a redacted version of special counsel Bob Mueller's report will be released to Congress and the public on Thursday morning, the Justice Department announced yesterday. The House Judiciary Committee is poised to immediately issue a subpoena for the report's redacted portions. And as Barr's standoff with House Democrats continues, at least one influential Republican, Devin Nunes from California, has signed on to an effort to demand that the Attorney General provide the House Intelligence Committee with any redacted intelligence and counterintelligence information that Mueller considered. In a letter made public on Monday, Nunes and Chairman Adam Schiff cited laws that entitle the House Intelligence Committee to review such information. If the past is prologue, people who want to see the full report may have new reasons to worry. While serving as head of the Justice Department's Office of Legal Counsel in 1989, Barr wrote a misleading summary for Congress of his own controversial legal memo that authorized the FBI to forcibly abduct people in other countries. New York University law professor Ryan Goodman writes that when the OLC opinion was finally made public long after Barr had left office, it was clear that his initial summary to Congress had failed to fully disclose the opinion's principal conclusions. Despite including some highly detailed analysis, the 13-page summary that Barr released omitted some of the most consequential and incendiary conclusions from the actual opinion. Goodman says there was evidently no justifiable reason for having withheld those parts from Congress or the public. As we see more from the Mueller report, we'll have to compare it to the initial four-page letter that Barr sent to Congress. And that's The Daily 202 for Tuesday, April 16th. Thanks for listening. I'm James Hellman. I'll talk to you tomorrow.